Hello everyone and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. It's our preview for the quarterfinals of Egypt 2021 and we've got a special guest with us today, Tom O'Branagon, joining the crew with Brian Campion here. Oh yeah. Alex Gulesh. Hey. And myself, Chris O'Reilly. Tom, how's it going? Good. Thank, thank you for inviting me on your, your world-famous over 300 episodes uh, podcast. <laughs> Overall, there's a bit of a, an anticlimactic mood to the room after today's games. We're recording on a Monday night, and I think we're all hoping that it was going to be Argentina making a bit of history going through to their first quarterfinal. But in the end, it's bloody Qatar. I think we have to congratulate Cuba, oh, sorry, sorry, Qatar, <laughs> on their um, third World Championship quarterfinal. It's quite impressive what they've done. Have you been impressed by them, Tom? Well, I mean, they're there, so you have to be. But am I impressed? No. I mean, they are not a nice team to watch. They're, it's, it's, it's not. The reason I wanted Argentina to win is not because it would be their first time or anything like that. It was because I love the way they play handball. I love the way they approach the game. And... Qatar is just, it's hard to watch. And what did you make of the game itself today? Because, I mean, for me personally, it felt that once Qatar came back and had actually taken the lead, both sides, you know, felt the nerves big time. But there was almost a, an immediate sense of desperation in the Argentinian team, which they really didn't need to to have, given the fact that they needed a draw to go through. Yeah, you're right. I, I read your piece. I read your piece on strikes, but there was there was a little bit of that. Uh, it's like I, I've often said it: when you've nothing to lose, uh, you can go for it. You know, which is what Qatar did when they were down, whatever it was, five, six, seven goals. I mean, it was it was quite an enormous um, gap at the start. And they just went for it. And uh, Argentina never got to grips with uh, Francis. And then when they got to grips with him, Capote, who looked like he couldn't walk, he looked like he'd only one leg, comes up with I don't know how many goals on the bounce. And I think that um, I was worried before the game. I was worried because Valero Rivera is a really, really good coach. And Manolo Condenas is also a really good coach, but in a very different way. He's much more cojones, you know, come on, let's do it, boys. Let's Let's rock and roll. And you can see it in the style that his style of management suits that kind of South American flair. And that, that, I mean, they're such lovely. I mean, even their defense, uh, Rasmus Boysen, who I know is a, a big, big uh, part of um, our humble world, was saying that he wasn't impressed with Croatia's attack, but that uh, he didn't think he said. Uh, the defence from Argentina was good, but he wasn't impressed with the Croatian attack. But I think that the way they defend is really, really interesting. You know, they're always they're always moving, their their arms are going, they're always trying to steal the ball, they're always trying to intercept. They just approach it in a different way. And that's kind of why I want them to be there. Just to, I'm not saying I'm sick of watching European handball, but you know, it does it, it, get, it gets stale. And to watch some of these teams from outside the European kind of powerhouses was great. Now I know Qatar is outside of that. Don't get me wrong, I know they are. But their style is just so bump and run, isn't it? It's just, it's just powered. It's just these massive men. Just, I feel sorry for Argentina, and uh, they really did blow it. And I think that the other thing that was worrying me was that I never thought Diego Simone was right after that burst eardrum. He just never looked 
the same. I thought there were some great players on the team, but he never looked the same and he was going to be key for them trying to break into that last eight. That's just, it's just a pity. Argentina seemed to be amazing for 10, 15 minutes then kind of go off the boil for a while, let teams back in again. Do you think maybe it's their style? Because their style is quite, it's quite demanding the way they play. Do you think that's maybe a little bit of their downfall? What makes, what makes them so attractive is also maybe on the flip side, maybe a little bit of their downfall. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what makes it exciting. I mean, they did the same against Croatia. Looked like they'd blown it. Then they got back into the lead. Looked like they'd blown it again and did it. And and, and in the end, won it. And I think that they maybe are confidence kind of players. You know, they are they are the type of team that if everything's going really well for them, they just feed off that energy, you know, which is a bit like their coach. He's like that as well. And I and I think that really today showed the difference. You never saw Valero Rivera sort of losing the cool. He was always, you know, he seemed to have a plan. He seemed to know. I'm, I'm sure he didn't expect to be five nil down or whatever. Whatever they were, down, five goals down or six goals down. But he always seems to have a plan. He seems to know what he wants to do. Whereas there were times today where you looked at that bench and you didn't feel that Manolo Cadenas had another kind of strategy that he could go with. Having said that, they do have a certain amount of players that can play. You know, the right back. Um, Oh God, what's his name? Pizarro. Pizarro, yeah, the right-back guy. You know, they need Mos- Moscarponi in on the line. They need him. Not as well, really, but, uh, they need him. They need uh, Mascarpone playing really well, you know. Mascariello. They need him playing really well. And I thought, I felt really sorry for Maciel at the end of the game. I mean, when you see a goalkeeper crying like that, having had such an amazing tournament, and particularly a great day again today, you know how much it meant to them, you know. But I don't go down this line of the, this, these lads are all from various countries that they're not really a Qatar national team. I don't care about that. That doesn't interest me. You know, I just wanted, I wanted style and I wanted flair going forward. My question is, what is going to be the more disappointing flight home? Uh, Argentina's tonight at 2am or Croatia's after being destroyed by Denmark? Jesus, Mary and Joseph, that guy, does he just love just digging the knife into <laughs> First of all, first of all, the first thing you have to do while I'm here now, Alex Kulesh, I know it was you who tweeted it, is you apologise to Philippi. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes and wins the final four. I know it was you. He has that tweet up in his bedroom wall, I say, Ayika, as motivation. Well, I, gave, I gave the public apology. I wore my Kiel jersey for the final, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Stop with the hot takes, will you? <laughs> that's, that's 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 his job here, you know. Maybe that's what inspired Philip Yeha and Kiel to win it all. Uh, they just saw that tweet by the handball hour, and <laughs> we're not that me wrong. We're not that big yet, you know. Give it a few more years. <laughs> it's a, it's a valid. I have to say that for all my for all my taking the piss out of Alex, there it, it's actually a valid question because that Croatian team was undercooked the whole way through this tournament. They never looked right. And uh, I know Sindrich uh, was injured and I know that uh, Karacic was injured and I know that um, uh, Duvniak had recovered from, I think it was COVID, I think it was like before the final four, but he looked good in the yeah. final four. But when you have to play match after match after match and you could just see physically they were coming down and uh, there's very few guys on that team come out with much uh, much credit. Marino Maric, I thought, uh, was really good. I've always liked him as a player. Um, I thought uh, Cupic does did what he always does. I thought Horvat, but there's an awful lot of guys really 
just, I mean, Sterling didn't look at the races at all. I mean, it was incredible. And uh, they're the type of team anyway that um, Lino tends to lean towards uh, defence more than attack anyway. So, you know, once they go behind, they're always struggling. But that was devastating today. I mean, that was devastating. That was, that was, I don't even think that was their second string Denmark team. I think that was their third string out there today. And they absolutely pulverised them. They pulverised them. It was frightening. That was frightening, actually, for the rest of the tournament to see that. So you think it was definitely then high time for Lino to move on then? They always say never go back, don't they? You know, with girlfriends. Although you wouldn't know on about that, Campo. (laughs) (laughs) Never go back to that. Never go back. Can't go back. You don't have one. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, they say never go back. You know, uh, Lino has done has done amazing things, and to manage to reach that uh, standard again was always going to be difficult. But having said that, it seems strange when you think the 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 way they churn out players in Croatia. They're all constantly getting moved to bigger European clubs. They just didn't seem to have any backup there. Although I did like that young lad, I wrote his name down tonight, Martinovic. I liked him. I liked him tonight. I thought he, I thought he looked nice. I think Lino didn't trust the young guys. You saw like Jagadnac coming on every game like a raging bull, like he's been in a pen being poked at for 50 minutes and then coming on and just really wanting to shoot at every opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think if he got kind of more time to settle into the team and determined he could have been a bit of an X-factor... He kind of trusted Martinovic, but then he still played Chupica right back for half a game. So it's kind of, it did feel like Lino was just leaning on his old guys who've done it for him before. And he didn't, he wasn't looking at the long term. It was only a year ago they got to the final of the Euro. So, I mean, it's not, it's not like this team has really degraded that much. They have had their injury worries and we did highlight Martinovic and Yaganyac as two players that we would have liked to see step up at this championship and maybe start the transition into a new era for the Croatian team but yeah it just didn't really happen and as you said Tom this Danish second slash third string team managed to tear them apart and the scary thing is I don't know if it's more scary for the rest of the competition or for Denmark themselves but they haven't really been tested at this championship I mean Japan was the the closest game they had knowing that I was uh, going to be talking to you guys guys tonight that was that was uh, one of the things you know you couldn't really say and tonight I thought okay here's a chance for us to see uh, where they're at okay Croatia's not great but at least after today's they had something to fight for and it looked like a game in the first half but my goodness me I mean, I've never seen, uh, of course I've seen it. Just when you think about a bunch of guys that you all probably know, but I don't know because I wouldn't be all outside of uh, the Champions League. I mean, these were these were no-namers to me. And that guy home, my goodness me. I mean, Jesus Christ. And, and, and you think to yourself, you know, Denmark is the Olympic champion. I think, are they the current world champions? Am I wrong there? Yeah, you're right. I mean, they just, they just look good. But... They're playing Egypt in the in the quarterfinal. And there could be a fly in the ointment, you know? Or a fly mm. in your pizza. As I read <laughs> I read today that uh, apparently the, the Slovenian team was seen uh, <laughs> I mean who who does that? Uh, well, Brian has uh, you've got experience of, of uh, you know ma- managing diet and and knowing how you have to be careful what you eat and drink in Egypt. Yeah, well I think it's a lot of it's to do with I was told anyway when I was there. A lot of it is to do with the tap water. And people think, oh, I'll avoid the tap water. I'll just eat salads and all that kind of stuff. But they wash, obviously, salads in the tap water. And that's usually what gets you. People think they're 
staying away from the the dangerous stuff like the meat or whatever else like that but they end up getting it from the tap water in salads and uh yeah i was in egypt for a week and i was on the the toilet for about two days and uh so could you play a game in your condition absolutely not no like we've seen some of the players do no, I, I don't know how to do it because I was so weak afterwards that I went to the pyramids and I could barely walk around there. I had to go lie down afterwards. So players who were coming out after that virus and then playing their respect to them. Put you in a sarcophagus, did they, when you had to lie down after? <laughs> that was the fascinating thing about the Slovenia coming out after the game, which was in the end a decisive game for the quarterfinals. Egypt got the draw they needed to go through. And Slovenia came out afterwards and basically criticizing the um, the organization and the way that they've been treated uh, only for today, as you said, Tom, the, the news from I think it was the Danish uh, sporting manager uh, said that uh, I take uh, he got, got photos of the Slovenians ordering and eating pizza from outside of the bubble. So um, I would just yeah. I would just say something uh, very uh, I'll, I'll say maybe a little controversial, but I'll say it anyway because we all know uh, what it means to be the home team playing in a home tournament. You tend to get the sixty forties. Let's say they go they become fifty fifties. So I, I just want to go back to the Slovenia game because there's two things that happened in that game. That while I was watching, because obviously I didn't know the, about the result was going to be the end, but it stuck in my mind. So do you remember when uh, Slovenia gave up three open goals in a row? Yeah, the crowd was going wild. Yeah, I know. I saw them. I saw them. I saw them at the start as well. It was like they brought the army in and kind of posted them all around. But um, Ali Zayn gets a rebound, okay, and a, he double dribbles it in the area. I mean, watch it back. He catches the ball with two hands after a bounce, and then he kind of drops it out of his two hands and catches it again, turns and scores the goal. The referees should have disallowed that goal. Now, I'm not saying that it might have made a difference to the final result, but I'm just saying that little things at key moments, and that was a second open goal, that starts to really make the the offense play faster because they think, Jesus, we, we better do something here. We're after giving away two goals. And then a little bit later on in the game, there was a guy called, oh, geez, I'm not even going to pronounce his name. I, I, I've seen him play before, Zuholznik. He was the Lion player. He's going, for a, he's going for a shot, and the Egyptian defender, I don't know who it was, hip bumps him. I mean, it's clear as a bell. Your man shoots wide, and the, and the referees give a goal throw. Now, the whole tournament... In not even the whole tournament, the last three or four years, I've seen penalties given for that time and time and time and time and time again. Now, I'm not going to say that Slovenia would have scored the penalty, but there were two key moments when Slovenia really needed a goal to just give them that little maybe a cushion or to keep their cushion or whatever it might be. They didn't get it. So what I'm going to say about Denmark, Egypt in the quarterfinal is Denmark better hammered them by 15 goals because it's if, if it's a close game, I guarantee you, we'll be talking about decisions. If it's a close game, there will be decisions. And that's nothing against uh, Perando and the Egyptian team. It's just a natural instinct of, uh, of of people refereeing the game. The hosts have been good to them. They've looked after them. They've, you know, they've probably enjoyed a few trips around some of the famous Egyptian sites. And so when they can't make up their mind which way it's going to go, they're going to go Egypt. Same in every championship. Look, we, we, we know what happens, you know, when, it, when it's the home team involved. There's an added bit of pressure. I wouldn't want to be the referee in that game. And so I would be hoping that Denmark can just do something like they did today if they're going to win it, that they win it completely cleanly, that there isn't going to be some 
Did Egypt claim that something they were going to uh, argue about something earlier on in one of the games? Was there some problem with something? Yeah, it was the, the game they lost against Sweden, the final group game, preliminary round game. There were Norwegian referees and they were not happy about that. So, yeah, uh, they didn't make an official protest, but they said they were unhappy with it. Okay, um, so, yeah. so that, that, that brings pressure to the game already. You don't need That's that. Right. What you were talking about Denmark, I'll start with Denmark first, because they kind of remind me of Barcelona these days, where they're just an unstoppable force and they roll through the kind of lower teams and are ruthless. They're they're absolutely ruthless. But I feel like they might also have the same uh, issue that Barcelona has sometimes. And in this case, they haven't come up against a big team yet. And, you know, to, uh, the game against Croatia wasn't the game it was supposed to be. And Egypt slow things down. They slow things down like crazy. And if they can slow Denmark down and stop their second wave fast breaks and force Denmark into a slog, I think that's how Egypt potentially come out with a win. Because they are battle-hardened at this championship. That's one other advantage they may have here. Egypt have actually had these tough games at the end of the group and and throughout the main round and and come through them. Whereas, I mean, you would imagine Denmark, they can take it out of their pocket. You know, they can turn it on at a moment's notice because they are so experienced. They are the reigning world champions and they have the majority of that squad together still as well as their exciting young players. I think Denmark are going to beat them. The mix of experience and these new players who've come in for Denmark with uh, Matthias Gutzel and, and Jakobsen, who've both picked up five player of the match awards between them, and it's their first proper tournament for Denmark. That combined with everyone else that Denmark has, I just think it's they've, they've looked the best out of all the teams we've seen so far. So I think I, I, I find it very difficult to find a route to the, uh, to the semi-final for Egypt, unless suddenly there are a lot more volunteers in the hall uh, because seemingly that's who it was in the crowd last time. Suddenly they've they've a thousand more volunteers uh, scattered around the arena, possibly. But yeah, I I, I see Denmark as a clear clear favourites for it. I'd be worried about the amount of penalties that Egypt will get in the game because the way they the way they play in those kind of little one on ones, very very fast players, especially those two right backs and and the, and the speed they play at Zine as well when he when he gets going, the speed they play a lot of one on one handballs. They don't. Uh, Maybe it's Perondo, maybe it's his style. Um, when he won the Champions League with uh, Varder, it was, it was similar. You, you you couldn't look at it and say, oh, that's a definite... You know, there was a lot of that kind of individual play. Just on that, Tom, Egypt are the best team at breaking through in the whole competition. They've done it 42 times and they scored 37 of them. So almost 90%. And that's about 10 times more than any other team in the competition. So... It's what they like to do, and they're really good at it. Yeah, and and I think and I think that when they don't score, that little sixty forty might be coming. Uh, you know, uh, a seven meter. <laughs> see what I did? See what I did with the numbers there? No, honestly, and and uh, and they're just gonna they, they'll be looking at your man with the big doe eyes. You know, the fellow with the whistles. Look at me, poor me. Think of the pyramids. Who for you then, Tom? Would I mean? I said that I thought Denmark looked the best out of all the teams we've so far. Would you agree with that, or have you seen something else from some of the other teams? Oh no, no, Brian, I would never disagree with you. Never, never. No, Alex said that. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, I, uh, to be honest with you, I, I, I've taken a bit of a different approach to this, uh, to this um, tournament. What I did every day was I looked for the games that I thought would be closest of all the games. So I didn't really sort of say, oh, I'm going to watch this or this or this. You know, sometimes I watched Korea against somebody else, you know, even though I knew Korea wouldn't be there at the end. I watched a good bit of Japan. Um, so I haven't seen that much of Denmark, but I really liked what I saw tonight and I liked what I saw in another game. But like that, it was it was over before it had even started. And I just thought to myself, oh, why watch that? But you, you, I noticed that boy in the right back, Ginzel. I liked him a lot. Uh, Emil Jakobsen, I've been hearing about uh, from Rasmus Boysen, but apparently he's only played a couple of games. So I, I really only saw him tonight. And yeah. I really liked that boy home tonight. And then I thought Mads Mensah Larsen looked looked like he was the best handball player in the world tonight. He just looked incredible. And I don't think he's the best handball player in the world, but he, he looked that tonight. And then you have Landing and Gull. So they look pretty good. Really impressed with the Swedes. I've only seen them twice, I think. But they look big and physical and strong. See when they wear that navy blue jersey that they wear? You know, the dark jersey? Jesus, they all look huge. If I was in the semi-final, I wouldn't go yellow. I know that they probably want to go yellow because it's their home strip. I'd go with that navy blue strip. Jesus, they look massive, and and they look they look a decent team. I kind of prematurely uh, tweeted about Norway when you guys said they all voted for them to win, and here they are in the quarterfinal. <laughs> uh, they look much better with Christian Sullivan back, but I know everybody said that. But I did say that nobody really had mentioned France in your in your experts. I think there was maybe one guy had mentioned France somewhere in there, but nobody else had mentioned them. And I thought from the very start, why is everyone... De- I know that they had some qualification issues or in the qualification matches, but I thought that they have looked really a tasty baguette, as I said. And I, I, I think they look really good. They've got the best right-back division in the, in the entire tournament. I don't know how they've got so many class left-handers on one team and the idea that Mahé couldn't play centre to me was just unbelievable because we'd seen him do it so often up in Flensburg kind of it just because he wasn't getting the breaks down in um, down in uh, in Vespem but you guys called him the um, the Swiss Army knife right he's the guy you can, put, you can put him anywhere and and I think Alex you said that he'd start Brexit I agree he would but you need that on the team because he upsets the opposition he gets them out of their he gets them out of their rhythm. He gets them out of their zone. He, you maybe people want to punch him in the head, you know. And then if you're if you're thinking about punching the guy in the head, you know what I mean. You're not thinking about your game. That's uh, he's brilliant to that. A bit like Sugar does. He he does it for our Johansson as they call him in this tournament. He does it for uh, for Norway. I mean, he gets in everyone's face. That guy is just like he he he'd make you want to tear your own toenails out watching him. You know, he he, and you need that as well. You know. I think in defense of Alex here, he said that Kent Mahé would get Brexit done. Not that he'd start Brexit. <laughs> he'd get the deal he'll done. Just figure, he'll figure everything out. You know, when you're, when you're really stuck, like Brexit has been for forever, Kent Mahé is going to open up that lock. I'm really impressed with Hungary. I've watched them a good few times now. And I think that uh, I don't like what they did tonight. I don't know why they did it, whether those players needed a bit of a break. If so, I mean, because Likai has pretty much played the whole game, uh, every game. Banhidi, he's like, what is he, 23, 24? He's not that old. I mean, he could play. He could play two games a day, you know? So, and I don't like the idea when you decide, oh, we don't want to play them. We have a better chance against these. If that's really the, the case, I don't know what is the case. But I'm not saying they threw a game tonight. But they could have they could have given Spain a really, really good game. 
I, I think it. I think it's fair to say they did tank the game today, and just like Thank you said that, Chris, you can't drop Roland Mickler, Mate Lacoy, and uh, Ben Sabanhidi, and, and just say that it's it's resting the players. You, you can rest them on the bench uh, if you want. And I think looking at the the overall frame of this quarterfinals and the potential route to the final, I think that's what people are uh, explaining it as that Hungary see the opportunity to to beat France on a given day and then potentially beat Sweden in the semi-final on a given day and get themselves into a final. I find that quite bizarre for a group of players that have been nowhere near a final as a national team, looking so far ahead. But yeah, here they are in a quarterfinal against uh, France and two teams that you've mentioned there and the teams that have impressed you. I remember at the very beginning when we were making the predictions, I was almost thinking about throwing a crazy prediction out there saying that France were going to get to the final against Norway. But then I kind of back down when I saw an Everlets' prediction. I think people have, I don't know, maybe as we said before on the podcast, kind of those two qualifiers against uh, Serbia were a massive moment in people's minds uh, going into the tournament, thinking of what kind of stage France are at and then kind of maybe ignoring the amount of quality that they still have in the squad. And when you look at the squad, sure, they're missing Karabatic, but they have a huge amount of winners in the squad already. And I think when push comes to shove against Hungary, I think they still have a, a huge amount of quality. And I think maybe my crazy prediction in my head that I had at the beginning that of having a Norway-France final, it doesn't seem crazy at all now. They have, I think, a better, a much better overall squad than Hungary do. Um, I think Hungary are going to give them a very, very good game for about 50 minutes. But I'll imagine maybe someone like DKMM in the last 10 minutes could decide it for them. But then you have Benson Hadi as well, probably the best line player in the world. But I'd, I'd imagine that just too many tools and too many options uh, in different parts of the court for France. And do you think, so as Hungary basically tanked that last game, do you think it was a good decision to do that? Because when you do that, you lose momentum. You, you, you of course, you know, you hear players and coaches always talk about, you know, we'll only think about the next game usually don't think about the future and Hungary have kind of yeah broken that um cardinal uh interview rule of saying that you're only uh thinking about the next game and they have thought about the route do you think that kind of loss of momentum will actually harm them in the game against France yeah I mean I I think momentum is huge you know and uh you know if it, if a team did that in the Irish League or the Irish Cup I'd be I'd be going what a bunch of what a bunch of idiots thinking now oh, if we get them then we get them then we get them you know you can't plan that way you, they might say that we only have to think one game at a time I'm sure guys are thinking ahead when they're playing the likes of a team that they know they can win by 20 goals so if Hungary did do that it's a dangerous game to play now the good news for them is that Lekai has had four days rest uh, same for Banhidi but don't forget uh, France have got uh, equally as good a line player down the other end in Fabregas and we saw against uh, Portugal uh, they were terrified of him they were terrified they never left that six metre line they, their whole game plan was was centred around trying to stop him and they didn't stop anybody else and if uh, Hungary approach it that way they're going to be in trouble I think Guillaume Gilles has done a has has done a great job. I don't quite know who's in charge of the Hungarian team. I presume it's Chema, uh, or it could be Istvan. I don't know. I, I think it's Chema. He seems to be the guy doing doing everything. Um, I think Matei has been has been uh, brilliant for them in the in the in the right back position. Um, 
but he's going to come up against a bunch of lads that will kill their own grandmother to win a game. And that's that's what you're up against with France. That's what they're like. They 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 will hit you, and they'll hit you again. Did you see Valentin Port the other day? He nearly killed a guy, and all right, he didn't nearly kill the guy, but he he definitely hit the guy. And the referee said nothing happened, and Valentin Port was going, "I'm in trouble here." And then he wasn't, and he got the eyeball down from the coach down the other end, and he didn't give an absolute monkey's. He thought, "You're going to come near me again. I'm going to kill you again." And that's the way they approach the game, and they'll never give up. I, I think Hungary have got a, a will have a real job on their hands trying to beat France. Uh, to to use a, a phrase that I believe you coined, Tom, the diamond. I think that's going to be the key area in this one: the backcourt three and the the line players, and particularly that battle. I think in Hungary's attack with Banhidi against Karabatic and Fabregas in in defense, or whoever's alongside uh, Karabatic in there. I'm really looking forward to that battle, and I'm pretty sure Alex has got a lot to say on it. I think it's 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 an absolutely fantastic matchup between Fabregas and Banhidi. But to be honest, the two teams are set up in a similar way as well, and it's this kind of modern way of setting up a team that probably, let's say, what has been effective recently, and having that smaller uh, center player like Mahe or Lekai making speed for two giant left and right back shooters who just smash it in. And that's been successful for both Hungary and um, France in this competition. Really, they might have to, you know, think outside the box because play a 5-1 defense, try to disrupt that um, playmaker. I think if one of the team's does that and I think Hungary should think about doing that because if the, both of them play their style as they are that matchup France just have the better players and will get those 60-40s in a skill way not in a referee way and um, so I think it's on Hungary to think outside the box and try to figure out a way of shutting down Mahe and in essence all the movement he creates for that diamond. Mm, I, I think I think uh, one thing we haven't talked about is the goalkeepers. So Mickler is by far uh, the best of of the goalkeepers on show when when they play, and then the Irish boy Shea Kelly, he's going to be uh, he's going to be important, you know. Down the down the other end, Pardon was a Pardon Pardon was a was a big loss, uh, but Gerard played okay against uh, against Portugal. He he played okay, and he needs to find he needs to find that. Uh, Champions League winning, winning Montpellier uh, season uh, form again. Sorry, what was the name of the other goalkeeper that they brought that they brought in? I can't remember his name, but I thought he had a good game. And there, are, there are two: Jan Gentil and Remy Desbonnet. Oh yeah, Desbonnet vous, Desbonnet vous. <laughs> right. uh, Desbonnet, no, it wasn't him. It was uh, Gentil. Yeah, I should have known. Him, of course, he's the he's the other Paris goalkeeper, isn't he, Gentil? Yes. Yeah. I I thought he had a very good game when he came on in one of the games. I can't remember which one it was now. I mean, they all blur together, don't you? It's really difficult to get a, get a sense of what you're seeing and who you're watching. And and it doesn't help when you're listening to uh, to people calling um, Zarabets, uh, Tsingazar, and uh, somebody else, like Odinchek. You know, little things like that. 
that was my little dig because I'm not doing it. Um, no, seriously, it's, it, it is difficult. To, I mean, and, and when you've no commentary, I cannot believe that at a time of uh, so many teams that you haven't got a commentator for every single game. I mean, it's not that difficult to, to hire a studio somewhere and put someone in and do the job. So you're kind of watching blind, aren't you? And if you don't know the guys, you're you're trying to figure out as you go along who's impressing and all that. And they all blur together because the game is over and you're you're ready for the next one. Um, so I think Mickler is going to be very important to them. But the the wingers from Spain are miles better. Are the geez, why am I talking about Spain? The wingers from France are miles better than yep. the wingers from Hungary. So yep. right about that. And I don't I don't get the sense that Bodo has played as much as he could. Am I am I wrong there? Am I am I am I missing? Just one thing on Bodo, he keeps doing this really annoying thing where he gets loads of speeds, jumps up, is about to take an unbelievable shot like we've seen him do so many times, and then he bounces it and passes it on. And I think that's why he doesn't play as much, because if I was his coach, I'd be like, come on, you've done it three times now, get on the bench, do your job, stick it in the top corner. Yeah, you don't have that problem with the French. Actually, I thought Remy Lagarde looked uh, very good the other night. I saw him. I thought he looked uh, great. Engage Song, when he's on song, is a really good player. Um, I, I, I can't see Hungary beating France. Uh, just on, on, on what we've seen so far. Can't see it. Fair. And going on history as well. I mean, out of the last 14 World Championships, they made the 12 semifinals. So they've been there and they've worn the jacket a few times. But maybe let's move to uh, Spain now, since you kept mentioning him there so often. <laughs> Spain versus Nora. What's your what's your gut feeling there? I think it's one of the probably one of the harder says a quarter fence to call. This is the best one of all. I'm so looking forward to this one. I mean, there are three games on at the same time on Wednesday night, which is an absolute disaster, by the way. But I think that. Uh, Spain against Norway is going to be uh, a classic. And now that Norway have squeaked through to the quarterfinal, and it is just based on 60 minutes now, which I really uh, like about this this competition is we're going to have three knockout rounds. I fancy Norway to win this one. I mean, Spain continue to somehow impress. We still don't really understand why they keep doing it or how they keep doing it. Difficult to really judge it on the the game against Hungary today. I didn't really watch it because after hearing what Hungary were doing, uh, so focus on the Argentina game. But I really like what Spain have been doing. The wings was one area you flagged last time, Alex, as being a worrying aspect for, for Spain, particularly on the right wing where they just weren't getting involved. Well, today against Hungary, they scored 15 out of 16 shots, just the two right wingers. So that seems to be seems to be sorted. But as Tom mentioned earlier on, as we've mentioned over and over again, Christian O'Sullivan in the that transition role into attack, I think that second wave counterattack is going to be the crucial aspect here for Norway if they can get a running throughout the game i'm not 100 sure if spain can match that particularly if they're going to do uh, if they're going to swap players uh, between attack and defense i agree with you uh chris what you said earlier and then uh you changed your mind and sort of said they were doing something else spain haven't impressed me actually um i and, I, and i'm reading you know the way you read like i'm not reading uh, match reports from the from uh, from the website because they're, they're they're always quite bland so i tend to more read what people are saying and you tend to find a lot of spanish people are talking about the spanish team and a lot of norwegians talking about norway and so on and so forth right 
And everybody's telling me, now I can tell how great Entrarios is. And when he's not there, they definitely don't look the same team. They definitely, they, they just don't look the same team when he's not playing. But they keep t- I keep reading that they're, that they're, that they're brilliant. And they, their goalkeepers are very good, by the way. Uh, Perdis de Vargas and uh, Corrales, exceptional. There's no doubt about it. And they will be absolutely vital to this team. But I mean, if you look, if you look around the team, uh, I would, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be looking. Is Fernandez is the first choice left wing, isn't he ahead of Arino, isn't it? I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be looking at, at those now. Arino, I like as a player, but I think that he he maybe thinks too much about about what he's doing. And Fernandez, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be if he's if it's a. You know, I don't know if it's an easy shot, I wouldn't be 100% sure he's going to get it. And if it's a hard one, I wouldn't be 100% sure he's going to get it. Uh, Gomez on the other side, I just think, is one of those guys, he wouldn't care if he missed five in a row, he'd score the next 20. He's, he's, that, type of, he's that type of player. Um, and then I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of looking around and I'm saying, who else really on that team makes me think that they're absolutely brilliant, that they, now they are where they are and uh, you can't take that away from them. But I am. I, I'm telling you, I. I don't know. There was one draw somewhere, was there? There was a it was the first game against Brazil, and there was a draw. Twenty nine, twenty nine, or something, wasn't it? Yeah. But but they've had a couple of little. And I'm not saying squeaks because they're not squeaks. But I don't know. There's something about Spain that I'm not 100 percent sure. And then you've Norway, who also I don't think have looked brilliant. Uh, definitely in the first game, and then, but in the second game they were a little bit better. The third game, the fourth, you know, they just get a little bit better each time, you know. And maybe they're finding their mojo. Now they miss Magnus Ruud. I think they really miss him in the right back position. He just gives you something a little bit different. Reinkind like his scoring goals for fun, but they seem to be in bursts. It's like he decides for ten minutes he's going to do his thing, and then he decides not to bother. And Tonneson, I don't know what's happened to him because a couple of seasons ago, I would have said he was like a guy that could really do it. So they're really missing him in the right back position. But then the ringers are doing what they do all the time, are getting better at doing what they do all the time. Christian O'Sullivan's back in the team, Sander Sagerson scoring goals. Um, Bergerud and goal will do his business. Uh, I think that the momentum might just be going for Norway here. You know, I, I, I don't know. And I, I, I haven't been overly impressed with Spain. I mean, I'm not buying into all the propaganda. That's what we say. We we don't know how they keep doing it. I mean, they're two-time reigning champions of the of Europe. They have con- come through. Yes, it was a bit slow at the start with that draw against Brazil, but they're here and um, can't really explain why. And they're also doing it without Alex Dushabayev, who is their star. Uh, like you mentioned, Tom, who is the guy who really kind of gets you excited. When Alex Dushabayev is on form, he is that guy. But he's been very average in this tournament and there's somehow still good i don't know maybe alex Shabayev, he really is a clutch player he turns up with two minutes left and you need to go he'll score you that goal so maybe the knockout rounds is when he'll step up and they'll really need him to do it but i think the key matchup is basically going to be norway's shooters because they take the most nine meter shots they've taken 101 shots which is more than 15 more than any other team in the competition and are shooting at 54 percent from that which is absolutely blistering but they're coming up against Perez de Vargas and Corrales who are two of the top goalkeepers and probably the best goalkeeper pair in this competition so that's going to be a decider I think there's going to be a lot of action around that but it's going to be Sagasen and Suor 
shooting from nine meters. And if Perez de Vargas can stop them, then Spain have a chance. I don't think he, he will stop them. I think they have too, ma- too much explosiveness in that backcourt um, for Spain to handle. And both of whom have lost to Sanders Agassin just in the last month in the final four. As long as he's not tired, which is what tends <laughs> to happen with Sagasin going into the latter stages. But I think the quarterfinals might be a bit early for that. Alex, just think about just think about uh, when there was a game where they didn't need to win, or they could have rested uh, Sagasin. I think it was a it was a, it was a game they were going to win easily. Uh, he was playing, and everyone said, "Oh, what are you playing Sagasin for? You know, we should be resting him. You know, for the rest of the tournament." And the coach said, "No, he wants to play, and he feels good, and a little bit different to Hungary. You know, there he's he's he, he's the kind of guy that does, and he's a he's a lovely guy, by the way. He, he's a really really decent bloke." And he just wants to play for his team and for his country, and you can't you can't buy that. I mean, he could have taken sixty minutes off and sat there. I can't remember what the game was, but he decided he wants to play. Coach played him, and obviously, all of this is feeding into that yeah, concept that they have, which is which is uh, when it works, is frightening to watch. Spain are much more a much more um, flair kind of team. You can see it a million miles away. You just don't know what Raúl Andreas is going to do. And by the way, if he doesn't have a good game, because he's been shooting really well, but there's de- games where you watch him where the goals don't go in. He just takes these kind of crazy shots or the little flicks don't work and everything else. And if that happens, look, you're right, Chris. I think that is going to be the game. That that'll be that would be the game that I would watch if there's three on at the same time, because I really think that that will be a very good game. But... Um, I haven't been impre- overly impressed with either of those two teams, and yet here they are in the in the last eight. But I've been less impressed with Spain than I have been with Norway. That was probably the, the best of the quarterfinals. Probably the worst of them is probably going to be Sweden, Qatar. Maybe since you're our Swedish, uh, sexy Swedish connection, maybe you could uh, give us a quick breakdown of that. Qatar, the, the team we're all disappointed to see in the, the quarterfinals against Sweden. And Brian, you said it in the last podcast, we hadn't really given Sweden much time a day before this championship. They were the team missing the most players coming into it. But this group of players have really, you know, they've taken their chance with two hands and they've played really, really well. The game against the Russian Handball Federation on Saturday was so, so impressive. They tore them apart. And some of the handball was just absolutely glorious. Like they are playing with so much freedom. And they've brought in Albin Lagergren at right back as well, which is a, a big boost for them. Uh, one of the kind of the old guard coming in. But when you've got Jim Gottfriedsen playing the way he is at the moment, who just seems to have uh, moved on to another level internationally, like he did so well in 2018, then stagnated for a little bit. But he was saying that during the lockdown, he took a lot of time to to slim down and to, to work on, on building muscle and get getting rid of fat. I think you can see that uh, quite a bit. And he's playing with a huge amount of confidence. And yeah, the young players like Jonathan, Carlsbergard, the, all the wingers playing incredibly well. I, I think they're going to absolutely hammer Qatar in the quarterfinal. I, I can't see any two ways about it. The only minor doubt is that with all the young players that Sweden have, playing in a knockout game for the first time. They've been playing, basically cruising through this championship, coming up against a a team in Qatar, even though they are much changed, still have seven, eight guys who got to that world championship final who know how to grind out a result like we saw against Argentina. That is maybe one question mark. But besides that, purely on handball, I think Sweden have this in the bag. But you you say that they've cruised through the competition, but they also have two draws 
against Belarus mm. and Slovenia, and they they squeaked that game against Egypt. So what about so they have been really impressive overall, but what about those games that slowed them down? So I think Sweden are another one of these teams with Jim Godfrinson in the middle, creating speed for the back players, and that's been effective. But what what's slowed them in this competition so far? That's a, that's a good point, and you almost uh, tend to forget, particularly the Slovenia game, which they they had a huge lead in and dropped it. Then that was a game, though, which uh, oddly enough they they were kind of talking about it as if they could lose this one because they could have technically lost it as long as they only had to win one more match, either Slovenia or Russia, to make it through to the quarterfinals uh, because of the the way the group was set up. And yeah, maybe that was uh, a bit of naivety on the side. It is also uh, a new coach, Glenn Solberg, who is a Norwegian international, but for for him, his first like major international job, he's trying to rotate the squad as much as possible. I think that's maybe slowed them down in some cases when they, they rotated the squad too much and um, cramped their style a little bit. I think they corrected that though, particularly you saw it against Russia when Jim Gottfriedsen could have been taken off much earlier, but they decided to keep him in and just completely uh, finish the game off. So maybe they've learned their lessons from that. I really like Erlen Mamelin's love child, uh, Jonsson. He's, a, he's a, a really good player, good hair. Brings me back to <laughs> Mamelin's, uh, you know, seeing he's got that Norwegian-Swedish connection there yeah, with the yeah. coach. Um, I think that uh, Alex is right, they did tie, but if you look at the two ties, and one of them, they come back from the dead, right? And uh, I think that says something about a team and their their ability to fight. And playing the Slovenians, you just never know what you're going to get with them. You know, I mean, that was always going to be a tricky. That's always going to be a tricky game. I mean, you've got players like Zarabets, you've got players like Jans who can do things, just extraordinary things out of absolutely nothing. You just never know which Slovenia, particularly in this tournament, you never knew which Slovenia was going to turn up. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't overly rate uh, those. And twenty four, twenty three. I told you, in close games, you play in Egypt, you don't want to be close playing Egypt because you're going to get decisions that maybe you shouldn't get. That's not anybody's fault. I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody saying anything there. It's just it's just always the way with the host nation, you know, so you can't really... But I think the game, I saw, they just looked big and powerful and fast. They all looked technically strong. And you're right about... I, I, I'm sorry... Um, Chris, I still have to call him Jim. I still can't pronounce uh, a J like a Y. I, I, yeah. don't how, I don't know how long you're living over there. The greatest thing is that they, they do it the other way around as well. They don't say yoga. They say yoga. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I, I would be very, very surprised. I mean, if they can handle if they can handle Frankis, um, that pretty much uh, turns off the tap for that guitar team. Now, he's not easy to handle, but... You know, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they'll do it. Can I just say before we, we leave the quarterfinals, I was really impressed with Iceland in this tournament. I really, I really loved the way they play, and not having Palmerson there seemed to really uh, release a lot of players. I thought that they were. I thought that they were great to watch, and really gave everybody a decent game. You know, they were when they were beaten. They, I mean, they might have had one bad result, but overall, they they played. Uh, some really, really good handball, crisp. I just like the way they play, you know. They're able to switch it up in defence. They're able to switch it up in attack. They have uh, lots of different possibilities. And, you know, they're not household names, you know. I mean, you'd know Good Munson and you'd know uh, Good Johnson and you'd know... But there's a couple of guys there I'd, I'd never heard of. Uh, 
that young goalkeeper, Hal, Hal, Hal Grimson, is that his name? I, I like him a lot. I've seen him somewhere before, but maybe he was in an international game. I don't know. But um, I, I just really like them. I'd also like to give a, a farewell to Portugal because we won't probably talk about them for the rest of the competition, but they are just incredible to watch. Not only their explosiveness, especially Andre Gomes, who just did some ridiculous things in the competition, but just the way they defend. If you watch Duarte defend on that number two position, he probably runs five times as much than any other defender. He's up and down. He's disrupting things. It's just, um, it's just great. So I'd like to thank Portugal for all they've given to this competition. Brian, do you not have any farewell teams? Because yeah, all, all of a sudden, 16 teams have been knocked out of the competition. So. Yeah, I think Argentina is probably the one that's stung the most. Um, and probably Slovenia to a certain extent. They only lost one game. I mean, it was razor thin so many times and they could, it could have went, it could have been so different for them. But, uh, I think probably Argentina is probably the biggest one, probably their best tournament we've seen them ever play. And, uh, I mean, it came so close against a team that everyone wanted to see lose. So it just added that a bit, a bit of salt in the wound almost there. Japan for me. Oh, they were brilliant. Watanabe, what a player. And Doi out in the wing. I agree, Chris. They were. But do you think? Do you think uh, COVID coming along almost will? It's almost in a way. What position did he play for Japan? <laughs> Who COVID? <laughs> hey, left back, number nineteen. Uh, you were talking about, and then you dropped COVID into a, a really interesting conversation. I'm going. Yeah, no, no, wait, wait. I got, it's going to come back around again. I'm going to take you on a bit of a walk here. But uh, the COVID coming in, giving them that that extra time to prepare for the Olympics when they were, when they would have played last summer actually has them as a group together a little bit longer is actually going to benefit them and having the world championship in the bag and all that kind of stuff yeah that's that's true never thought of that fingers crossed it happens yeah that's well i i read an article after it was all over twitter that it had been cancelled i read an article in a, in a newspaper that said uh, it's not, not true yeah, yeah yeah they were brilliant and can i just say even though i think korea did the wrong thing sending uh, a bunch of young lads to play in that tournament they were fantastic to watch as well i know they got beaten in every game but my god it's just lovely to see young lads running around all that speed i can hardly bend down tie my shoelaces anymore and i'm just looking at them i'm tired watching them you know and they do everything so quickly and um there were some nice there were some nice stories from this i have to say i was a bit worried uh at the start when i don't know how many teams were 32 30 47 and it's been going on forever i mean but um I was a bit worried, but actually to see the level of handball in other countries, you know, outside of what we consider that bubble of, say, Champions League or the the kind of the, the handball states of Europe, and to see some of the handball uh, being played outside, it's just it's just brilliant. And I tried to find uh, it was Rasmus actually said it on Twitter, you know, try and find the non as many non European teams, but I'd already decided that myself. Because you want to just see something a little bit different. They were brilliant. The only team that I think should be, they should be red carded for future internationals for at least the next four years is Morocco. They were shambolic, disgusting, dreadful. They are violent. They, I mean, these guys could have seriously hurt more than one player in this tournament. And if that's the level that they're playing at, someone needs to say to them, lads, we're sorry, you can't, you know, I love a bit of rough and tumble the same as the next guy, but elbows to faces, knocking guys over when they're in midair, you know, it can, it can be an accidental. 
How many red cards do they have, Alex? They just seem to be they seem to be getting red card after red card after red card in the tournament. It was it was it was horrible to watch them. Horrible. Never saw anything like that in my life. Just saying. Uh, I have to double check this. They probably got a few more red cards since uh, since I, yeah. I checked up on them. So in the in the Presidents Cup, they've only got one red card in their victory over South Korea. So three in the first game against uh, against Algeria. Three, so two plus one blue card against Iceland. That's six, so seven overall. Seven. Yeah, well, seven is seven's a lot in six games. I'll tell you. <laughs> Let's double that. Fourteen. Well, they, they still have a game against Angola. They can uh, they can reach double figures there. Yeah, almighty. To finish up, uh, which players maybe impressed you that you weren't expecting kind of big performances from? I'll go Watanabe for um, for um, uh, Japan. I thought he was exceptional. I thought he was he was brilliant. I thought Kim for uh, South Korea and Lee. They were they were great players too. <laughs> Which ones? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> you know, I thought was brilliant uh, today. Sebastian Simonet. I, I thought he was great, and uh, Mascarpone on the line thought he was exceptional as well. And then I thought that uh, for Iceland, I, I mentioned a couple of games and uh, a couple of names. Ellison, the the boy that wants to be. Um, Mikkel Hansen with the headband. If he could just be a little bit more deadly from the left wing, I think he's just a little bit off on his uh, on his shooting from the left wing. He misses too many, what I would consider easy shots. But he really impressed me as well. Uh, there was a lot of lot of great players, and Jonsson for Sweden. Thought I never heard of him. I never saw him before in my life. I thought he was anything I've seen of him. I really like. You know, I was surprised by how he can still do this at an international level. Frankis Carol Marzo. 53 goals, all from open play. As we've mentioned, he is basically single-handedly, uh, until Capote has come along now in the last couple of games, carrying this Qatari team into the quarterfinal. And 33 years old, a real pity that he's moving to Qatar to play club handball next season because yeah, he could he could easily make it in, in any Champions League team. Not any Champions League team, but many Champions League teams, uh, even at his age at the moment. And number one for steals as well. A joint number one for steals, which is also massive input. So it's uh, not just goals on his side. I think the Polish team, um, and out of that team, uh, Siko, a great name, has been uh, very good. Siko. 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 Simon Siko has been a real star for them. Uh, I'll also give a shout out to Madadi, the best name of this competition. <laughs> and, and, and Sassy. Hold Sassy on, and Madadi on. in one team. That was hold on. Sassy and Mad- I, I don't think I don't think Madadi takes over Hiroki Matoki as the best name in the championship. Japan's Hiroki Matoki. You made that up, Chris. Oh, he's a right winger no, for no. Japan. What's his name? Hiroki Motoki. I want him playing. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of those guys that will get his two names every single every time. time. Every, every time. Every time. Toki Matoki. Toki Matoki. We've got him down. I've got him down. <laughs> and the Gabala brothers, I think. And Tommy mentioned, uh, how do you feed the, the four of them? All combined height of eight meters 40 or something. <laughs> Just insane big boys, and they've uh, they've been rock solid for Poland. Do you know? I I always when I look at Gabala, uh, the the 
he's kind of become a specialist defender for Kielsa and uh, and he looks so innocent, doesn't he? Do you ever see him? He looks so innocent, the size of him. And he always looks like, I'm listening to you, coach. I'll do what you say. And you just want to give him a big cuddle, you know? <laughs> Next time I see him, no, I can't cuddle anyone because of COVID, but I just want to give him a big cuddle, you know? He's just... Uh, just he just looks like a big baby. I see his mommy still cuddles him, you know. <laughs> I swear to God, he's so he just looks so lovely. He doesn't look like he's a bad bone in his body. You see, when he fell, someone he gets two minutes. He kind of he, he's nearly kind of gone. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm so big and strong that I may have. You know, <laughs> he's very like uh, Ben Sabanhidi in that as well, where Banhidi is just like. I really didn't mean to break your neck. I, I really didn't mean to. As he walks off for the two minutes, he's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know my own strength. Four teams going through from the quarterfinals. I'll say Denmark, Norway, Sweden, France. I'll go, I'll just go, I'll throw Spain in there just to be a bit different. No, you can't because you said you were going to go Norway, France in the final. You can't throw Spain in there now. No, I can't. Actually, you're right. <laughs> I just, I just like to, I, I just like to disagree sometimes with predictions. It's always my my downfall. You know? Go Norway, France, and pick Egypt or Qatar. I have Hungary as my outlier out of the four. I, I see them beating France. Okay. And Chris, you and I and Campion are going for the three Scandinavians and France. Mm. Okay, now I don't know who plays who in the semi-final then, Chris. Then it's Denmark against Norway in one semi-final and Sweden against France or Hungary in the other semi-final. Well, that's hard now. And France. France to get to the final, let's say. I like that Swedish team. I think Sweden will beat France. I have Sweden in the final as well. Sweden-Norway final? Sweden-Norway. Ooh, Norway-Denmark. No, I think Denmark-Norway. <laughs> Sweden yeah. Denmark final. Brian, I go. I'll stick with. I'll stick with France Norway for the for the France, last. Norway. Okay, so only Tom reckons oh, that Denmark Norway game is so so hard to call. Denmark France as well. What did I say? Sweden Denmark. Yeah, I'm happy with that. But e- Egypt are going to win it all, right? That's that's going <laughs> to blow blow all of our predictions out of the water. As <laughs> Sweden claiming gold. Sweden Denmark Denmark just because if Landin is hasn't hurt himself Denmark because they've got a better goalkeeper sorry Andres and Agraforce is that the other guy mm-hmm. Brian I had, I had Norway Sweden or Norway uh, Norway France and I had Norway to win stick to it Norway I don't know I feel Denmark are going to win the whole thing I just can't, I can't make my mind up push over champion I've never met I, I, I hear them else this so I decided I yeah, no, do, do you know what you do so you, you mention all the teams and then you just take your sound clip then when it actually happens you go look I told you so <laughs> even though someone has to listen to the whole podcast to see you actually said all the different permutations <laughs> that's what you do <laughs> that's how you make it in show business change your mind now no no Norway France final Norway to win okay Chris you didn't say anything in the end it's going to be gold for Norway silver Sweden bronze Denmark Scandi party in Cairo next Sunday night. Socially distanced, of course. No pizzas. No pizzas. <laughs> Brilliant, Tom. It was good to have you back. Thanks, Thank Tom. you very much. Thanks, Thanks for asking me. Enjoy the games on Wednesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.